Well, it's wonderful to be able to, again, proclaim the gospel to you this morning and coming into the service right now as our music team leaves are four men who, as I said, will become elders and deacons. Right now you could say they're candidate elders and candidate deacons. They have been nominated and they have been voted in to serve in these roles at Mercy Church. And the ordination of these gentlemen will take place after the service. And of course, we're excited this morning to um, welcome into that office or that service, and we're excited to see what the Lord's going to do through them. And I share this excitement, I'm sure, with you this morning. But we need to know as we enter this service and as we enter into our calling, you could say that the Lord actually has a strategy here for Christian service. And just like the Maple Leafs have a strategy to win the Stanley Cup, or at least they hope they do, we in the church of Jesus Christ, have a, have a more divine strategy, and it comes from the Lord to build a successful church. It's a simple strategy, really. It's through our weaknesses and brokenness that we become effective tools for Him. That's the strategy. Some actually call this a paradox, that in our weakness, there is strength. In our death, To self, there is abundant life. God is using, is displaying his power through our weaknesses as leaders in the church of Jesus Christ or even as members. And as the church of Jesus Christ, we've got to get this right. Because it's possible to get this wrong. It seemed the church of Corinth, which is where we're going to enter into today, that we're going to talk about the church of Corinth, didn't understand the divine strategy in church building, you could say. And this caused the Apostle Paul, the one who planted the church in Corinth, so much stress. Now we have just a little map so you know where we're talking about. Here is Corinth. This is present-day Corinth now, but the landscape hasn't changed that much since the ancient world. We have Turkey, which was Asia Minor. We have Corinth here in Greece. Paul was under a lot of stress because they did not see Paul, the church at Corinth, as an ideal apostle. They were looking for the guy with the designer shoes and the Gucci jacket, which this isn't, this, by the way. Now we read in 2 Corinthians 10 verse 10, for some say his letters are weighty and forceful, but in person this guy Paul is unimpressive and his speaking amounts to nothing. And not only that, they were taken back by the fact that he was being persecuted for the name of Christ, and they thought this was a kind of a a showing that he was an ineffective leader of Jesus Christ. They liked the super apostles, the gifted ones. But here's the problem. Any dependency on human strategies, on the outward... Any dependence on the messenger of the gospel and not the message of the gospel is bound to cause the church of Jesus Christ to fail. You see, in the strategy that God has for us, and it's a God, it's God's clay pot strategy, that's our theme for this morning, the strategy that God has for us is that by our weakness, by our brokenness, the message of the gospel comes out more clearly. So that, here it is, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. That's what we're going to consider today. So let's open our Bibles this morning. 
We're going to get right into it. We're going to open to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and then we're going to go to this, the, another letter, the second letter of Corinthians, which some argue is a later letter, because some of the letters of Corinth are ex, not extant, that we don't have them. But we're going to begin with letter, the first letter. So 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul writes this letter to the Corinthians to kind of encourage them, some level of disciplining them. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1. And there we read, And so it was with me, brothers and sisters. When I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness and with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom but on God's power. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God is destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. These are the things God has revealed to us by his spirit. We're going to move now into the second letter of Corinth, Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4. We're going to begin at the top of verse 4. The heading here is present weakness and resurrection life. Chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. Now this morning we're going to focus on this verse. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side but not crushed, perplexed but not in despair, persecuted but not abandoned, struck down but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. This is the word of the Lord. Let's ask the Lord for a blessing over his, the preaching of his word. Father in heaven, we thank you we, that we could open your word, that we can explore your strategy, your clay pot strategy this morning. Open our hearts, we pray, by your spirit. Fill them up. 
and teach us what we ought to, be, what we ought to learn in Jesus' name. Amen. So God's clay pot strategy. I have three things that we're going to look at from verse 7 and they're straight of the text. He secures an awesome treasure by through indestructible clay pots. Sorry, that should be indestructible clay pots. You got to divide the in from the destructible here. Okay, so there's a little bit of work you got to do here. It should say in, space, destructible because our clay pots are not indestructible but they're very destructible. Thirdly, to demonstrate his incomparable power. Maybe as the sermon goes on, we can get that switched up. Okay, he secures an awesome treasure. We read, but we have this treasure, Paul says. Now Paul, some argue, is is using a royal we here. We have this treasure being me, myself, and I. We have this treasure. I don't think it's really that. I think when he says we have this treasure, he's actually speaking about those who are apostles like him, teachers like him, who share the same treasure, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. But I think we're also included in this. Those who have served as apostles, yes, we may not be serving as apostles. We're not part of this apostolic ministry that Paul was back then but we're still part of the apostolic message that he preached. This is our treasure just as much as it was the treasure for the Corinthians and for Paul. We have this treasure. And the question is, what exactly is this treasure? Well, ultimately, this treasure is the good news of Jesus Christ. It's what we call the gospel. That is the treasure. And what the good news does, it displays, you could say, the glory of Christ. It's like a light that shines his brilliance, his beauty, everything about Christ to a lost world. And I'm going to help you understand this because this is very important. When we're talking about the glory of Christ, it's not some kind of abstract reality. No, when we're talking about the glory of Christ, we're talking about his kindness to us, his goodness to us, his love. His holiness, his righteousness, his willingness, his love that brought him to this earth to die the death that we deserve to die and was raised again in power and now ascended at the right hand of God for our salvation. That is the composite picture of the glory of Christ, all of his attributes, all of his qualities put on display for us to love and appreciate. But really... They, they can't be appreciated until we understand who this Christ is. And Paul, in his ministry, got to experience who Christ is. He, he got to experience something of that glory of Christ. And throughout his ministry, he kept ex- re-experiencing it, you could say. But I think he uses the glory of Christ for this reason. There was a day when Paul was a hater of Jesus. There was a day when he killed those who followed Jesus until the glory of Christ showed up. It happened in the book of Acts. It's the Acts of the Apostles right after the Gospels. Paul was on his way to Damascus to to find more Christians and to put them into prison. And as he was going, we read these words in chapter 9, verse 3. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? You know, you need to understand here that if, if someone touches a follower of Jesus, 
If someone mocks a follower of Jesus, if someone denigrates a follower of Jesus, they're mocking, they're denigrating, they're persecuting Jesus. And that's why he asks, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you'll be told what to do. Often the glory of God is connected to a light, and that light blinded Paul on his road to Damascus. But it was more than a light. It was a divine encounter with the Holy One that transformed his life forever. You cannot meet the Holy One Christ like that and not expect to be transformed by his power. And that's exactly what happened. And, 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 and there, even beginning right there, Jesus all of a sudden became a treasure for Paul. Because Jesus became real to him. It, it changed his perspective on everything. No longer was he a persecutor of the church. He was being persecuted by those who hated the church. He became a defender of the gospel. Because suddenly, in that moment, Christ became part of him. He became, he became a treasure in his heart. The treasure of all the goodness of Christ entered his life. And he would grow in that reality of what it meant to have that treasure in him. And I hope you do as well every day. That Christ is a treasure unlike any other treasure this world can offer. That the work of Christ, the salvation of Jesus is, is so precious. More precious, more costly, more beautiful than anything money can buy. Paul realized that. He, he couldn't even stop speaking about it. In Philippians 3, verse 7 to 8, he, he says these beautiful words. He says, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything, everything I've done in the past, the person I am, my name, my heritage, my pedigree, whatever, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, my treasure, he says, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them garbage, garbage, rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him. And this morning I wonder, loved ones, whether you share that passion. You may not have had a Damascus encounter with the risen Savior. I know that. But this does not make Jesus any less real to you than it, is, than it was to Paul. Listen, the news that you, a sinner, deserving of eternal judgment, which should have ended your life in eternal hell, you being rescued from that judgment by the one who has taken your penalty on himself on the cross, risen declaring victory over death and over sin and the devil for you and me. The news that you have a Savior who has saved you, who loves you with an infinite love, that's an awesome treasure that finds its home in your heart by faith. Paul says, but we, but we have this treasure that little word but is de in Greek is, it was, is what you call a contrast conjunction. It's contrasting two realities, those who have the treasure and sadly those who don't. You see, not everyone sees Jesus as a precious treasure. 
Not everyone delights in his glory, his divine attributes. This is what we read in verse 3 of our chapter. It says, and even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God. You see, there are those who have been blinded by the devil's lie that Jesus is not worth believing in. That he's merely a Jewish carpenter that died a criminal's death But to acknowledge that he rose again, although it's attested in history, is an undeniable for them. It's a a deniable leap of faith. They they can't get over that fact. But the devil's behind that. He blinds people with this deception that Jesus is no treasure worth holding. But he says, but we have this treasure. There are those who deny Jesus his glory. There are those who deny Jesus is the treasure of all treasures. But he says, but we, we have this treasure. Paul has it. Those who have been born again from above have it. As a church, we trust that these leaders who are going to serve as office bearers in their church have this treasure. We have prayed over this process, actually. We've prayed over their nominations and we've prayed over their, the voting process. We have witnessed their testimony. We're eternally grateful that we see this treasure at work in their lives. And yet what about you listening to me this morning? You may ask, do I have this treasure living in me? Well, let me ask you a question this morning. Is Christ real to you? As real as the sun that is shining on this beautiful day today? Do you believe that he is the eternal son of God who came to this earth to save your wretched soul, polluted by sin, and to rescue you? Do you hunger to know him? Do you hate the sin that lives within, that holds you captive to the devil's lies? Do you hate that sin? Can you say that he is worth more than all the treasures that this world combined can give you? And if your answer is yes, even though your faith may be a growing, budding faith, may be weak in so many ways as mine is, you have this treasure. This treasure is given to all who receive Jesus Christ as Lord of their lives. That's the gift of grace to you. But we have this treasure. Here's the second point. It's a destructible clay pot. He secures an awesome treasure, thank you, indestructible clay pots. We have this treasure in jars of clay or clay pots. Now we're getting to the heart of, the, of God's clay pot strategy, you could say. Because in God's infinite wisdom, he chose to entrust this treasure into frail and weak clay pots. Now I don't think it's too difficult for you to see a connection between a clay pot and your humanity, your humanness. You know, even to hear the word clay is to think that's going to destroy soon. That's not going to last forever. The treasure, that's indestructible. The clay pot, not so much. Almost everyone in those days had clay pots, maybe like we use Tupperware today. I actually don't even know if you use Tupperware a lot today. But if you do, they used it a lot in the ancient world. 
They use clay pots for uh, jewelry, artifacts, money, scrolls, you know, water, wine, oil. It was their modus operandi for, for doing so much in their, in their life, in the home. We went to a village in Papua New Guinea, and, and they still loved using clay pots. And we would eat, at, well, they would serve us out of these clay pots. They said the food was better out of the clay pots. And, and so they made these pots in the village, and we loved the food from those clay pots. But I think Paul wants to go just a little bit deeper than the actual use of a clay pot to its destructible nature, which is our flesh and our limited capacities as followers of Jesus. That's all combined here. Let's go with the flesh reality that our flesh is but a clay pot. When Adam and Eve, you know, fell into sin, they are our first parents in the Garden of Eden. They plunged the whole world under a curse. And this is what the Lord says in Genesis 3, verse 19. He says, but by the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and dust you will return. It is dust that makes clay pots. To dust you will return. Ecclesiastes 3, verse 20, all are from dust, and to dust shall return. Taken straight from Genesis chapter 3. We are clay pots. That's what we are. But not only are we clay pots in this physical body we call our flesh, but even our capacities are limited. We have weaknesses. We have inhibitors. We have emotional vulnerabilities. Our minds, our mood, everything about us is clay-like. And, and, and here's the strategy that Paul is trying to help us understand. That Paul, like us, have to understand that God has a strategy here for us. That is in this weakness that we call our human psyche, our human body, in this brokenness, the glory, the shining glory of Jesus comes out more brightly. And, and Paul understood this so clearly in his life. And, and, and I think as you grow in your Christian walk, you understand this more and more every day, that the body begins to break down or that you just have these limitations and you think these are just stopping me from really grabbing hold or serving Christ powerfully in Christ and God saying, no, 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 no. No, those weaknesses are actually for my glory. That was Paul. Paul, we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, had a messenger from Satan that tormented him. And we have no idea what that is really. It could have been maybe depression or a certain kind of anxiety. Maybe he's battling a certain sin of the flesh. But something was impeding his ministry and so he asked God to take it away. That's our way of dealing with problems in our life. Just take it away, Lord. Make me free from this burden, from this problem. And, and this is the Lord's response. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it from me, but God said to me, my grace, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power, Paul, it's not about you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Paul got the strategy, and then he says, Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. So that when I am weak, then I am strong. I don't want you to be surprised. God doesn't want you to be surprised by the weaknesses that you bring to the work of the Lord. To his church, the impediments that you have. Because through them, 
God is preparing his light to shine. You know, what should surprise us is not the weaknesses that we have in Christ's service as a follower of Jesus, the failing flesh, that's the messenger from Satan that torments us. What we should be really surprised at, that God would entrust his treasure to us, that he would come and live inside of us, that we would have Christ in us. You know, because one of the chief problems in the church and really in our Christian life is that we're so easily distracted by the clay pot or the jar of clay, so easily distracted that we lose sight of the treasure. We act as if the potency, the power of the gospel comes from the clay pot and not from the treasure inside the clay pot. We talk about the clay pot. We talk about the abilities of the leadership in the church. We, got, we get all caught up in the externals. And the precious, precious treasure that's hidden behind that veil is lost on us. We don't even see it. Let me try to illustrate this. It's, it's, it's somewhat of a silly illustration, but, but hopefully the kids get it. If I take my son, maybe in the fall, who knows when, to a hockey game, or my sons, and one of them gets a puck signed by Austin Matthews or Mitch Marner. If you don't know who these guys are, these guys are playing for the Leafs. And my son is pretty stoked, and he takes it home, and he built a little box for that hockey puck. He spends about 15 minutes building that little box out of cardboard. He colors it, tries to match the decor of the room. Not. He just colors it some color. And he puts it in his room. Now imagine a friend comes over and says to my, my and my son says to him, yeah, you got to come to my room, i got something to show you. So the friend comes over to his room, and for the next 15 minutes, he doesn't talk about having this puck signed by Austin Matthews or Mitch Marner. He talks about the little box that he built to hold the treasure, how beautiful the little box is, how it matches the decor in the room. Well, that's ridiculous. Of course he wouldn't do that. And all God's people say amen. It's ridiculous to talk about the clay pot. It's ridiculous to get sidetracked by the, by the presenter or by the people who lead. It's ridiculous to look for the show from the outside. It's all about the treasure. And that's why John the Baptist says, you know, I need to become less so that he becomes more. Why? Because it's not about me. It's not about you either. It's all about Christ. I like what James Denny says here. He says, there's always have been men in the world so clever that God could make no use of them. They could never do his work. They were, all, they were so lost in admiration of their own, of themselves. But listen, God's work never depended on them. And it doesn't depend on them now. The power is not the product of human genius or cleverness or technique or ingenuity. The power of the gospel, beloved loved ones, is the gospel. And the church of Jesus Christ needs to get this. It's God's strategy, not ours. We just get in the way. So he secures an awesome treasure in destructible clay pots, but he demonstrates this, this is my third point, through his incomparable power, a power that you can compare to 
nothing because it's so powerful. And here's the goal of God's clay pot strategy, that the all-surpassing power comes from God, we read in verse 7, and not from us. That's why he hides it in jars of clay. And God forbid that we get in the way of his plan. You know, the power of the gospel has been displayed throughout the history of the world. You know, even in Genesis 1 verse 3, when God spoke, he spoke light into this world. And we talk about that in verse 6 of our chapter, right? He spoke light, just as light shone into the darkness, so God has shone into our lives. That's a power that comes from above. He led God's people, God people, God, he led his people out of Egypt. That was a power second to none. But the greatest power manifest in all of creation was the raising of Christ from the dead, we read in Romans 1, verse 4, that through the spirit of holiness was the, anoint, the appointed Son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead. He was risen. And then the Holy Spirit came upon the church, and this is what Jesus says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is God's power constantly being manifest in his work of salvation on this earth. And even Paul, Paul was called to be a missionary for the Gentiles in the power of God. You see, it's that power that we're talking about this morning that transforms our hearts, like Paul's heart, to become a follower of Jesus. That power makes our souls hunger and thirst for what is right and holy. That power gives us new affections, new likes, so that even our, the biggest and the most beautiful treasure that we could possibly have on this life, in this life, is like dross compared to the treasure of knowing Jesus. Or put another way, this power allows us to know that Jesus is more precious to, to us than anything else or anyone else. A family member, a new car, a boat, a house, anything that we have, Jesus is more precious. That, that realization is a divine work. That power helps us to fight our vices, our addictions, which we know are stealing our lives from us, but we think that those addictions are going to satisfy us. And the power of God comes into our life through this treasure and says, Jesus is the only one who can satisfy your hungry and thirsty soul. Find him. It's that power that helps us flee to Christ from sin. It's an all-surpassing power. That's why we read in Romans 1, verse 16. This is, what, this is God's design. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. That's us. Our salvation is an awesome work of God. Salvation belongs to the Lord. You know, this is so free. It's so freeing for these brothers who are here before me this morning who are going to be serving as office bearers. It's so freeing for all of us as leaders of this church. It's also so freeing for you to know all this truth. It helps us understand a few things. I'll close with this. It helps us understand that whatever weaknesses we have, physical or mental or any mix between the two, is purposeful. 
But God will use it to demonstrate His power. It it frees us and allows us to to actually be prepared for what is going to happen in the future. In verse 11 of this chapter we read, they were given over to death for Jesus' sake so that His life may also be revealed in their mortal bodies. We shouldn't be surprised at trouble, persecution, burdens that we need to carry for Christ's sake because God is going to use that to demonstrate His power. You know what else it does? It frees us to pray more earnestly for the salvation of others, knowing it will be God's power to bring about their regeneration in their heart, to bring about this change in their lives. So we are people of prayer because of this power. It frees us to serve humbly, faithfully, not focusing on the results, but leaving the results to Christ. It's His work. We are mere instruments, tools for Him. It frees us to fix our eyes then, as we read in verse 18 of chapter 4, on what is, to fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. There's so much freedom there. And it frees us to the reality in verse 17 of this chapter that our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. That's the freedom we have in knowing that the all-surpassing power comes from God and not from us as we minister His grace and serve Him. So loved ones, as you embrace the call in your lives to serve Christ and His church, whether in the formal office as an office bearer or informally, realize this. Realize that you have been given by faith an awesome treasure in knowing Jesus Christ as your Lord. He's more precious than you can imagine. But expect then to uh, experience weaknesses. Expect your clay pot to corrode, to break down. Expect hardships and struggles. Don't be surprised by them. Expect even thorns in the flesh, even messengers from Satan. But then cherish, but cherish and celebrate and proclaim that the all-surpassing power at work in your life to bring you to Christ and through you to bring others to Christ, all belongs to God. It's His power on display, His glory, His grace that we want everyone to see. You may your life and may my life and may your life, brothers and those who are serving in office and everyone who is serving, whether formally or informally, in the church of Jesus Christ, as a follower of Jesus, may all our lives be a massive signpost that points to Christ, that says, don't look at me, but look at my Savior. He's your only hope in life and in death. To him and to his Father be all the glory. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the message of salvation. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for this treasure that you've chosen to put into our lives, which is to choose to put such a glorious thing into a jar of clay. 
God, we know that our jars of clay, our bodies are failing us. As we get older, we see it more rapidly. But we also are quite aware of our limitations, whether they are our memory or whether it's something physical, whether it's a speech impediment or whatever. Lord, we have so many limitations. And we can decry them, Lord. But we pray, O oh God, that we see that you are fulfilling a purpose in and through our weaknesses. That we fix our eyes then on not what is seen, but what is unseen. Help us to fix our eyes on Christ and await the day that he will become visible to us and that we can be with him forever. Bless us now, Father. Allow this word to leave a deep imprint on our hearts and allow us to seek you as our only treasure. In Jesus' name, amen.